I'm Sean Haney, and this is Real Ag on the Weekend. Let's get real and get connected with the week that was in Canadian agriculture. Real Ag on the Weekend starts now. Welcome to Real Ag on the Weekend. I'm your host, Sean Haney. It is great to be with you here. Hopefully you had yourself a great week. We're going to look back at the week that was in Canadian agriculture. And hey, so much great feedback from last week's first show here on uh, Rolco Radio. And it's great to be with you here again. I, I just really appreciate all the feedback and how everybody's really enjoying the fact that there's a little bit more ag programming here and a little bit more real ag to enjoy. And if you uh, if you get a chance, go to realagriculture.com over the weekend here. Uh, we're Obviously, we're not able to squeeze all the different things that happen in agriculture into one one-hour show. But if you go to realagriculture.com, you can definitely find full coverage at uh, of the week that was, I should say. So uh, we got a great show for you here today. Lots to discuss and break down. We're going to hear from Wade Subkovich. He's with the Western Grain Elevator Association. We're going to hear a conversation that he had with Real Agriculture's Lindsay Smith about how this decision that Health Canada's made on Lambda Psi products, Matador and Silencer, how that is untenable for farmers. So, and he's got the reasons why. We'll also hear today from Katrina Schmidt. She is with FMC Canada to talk about how, you know, they've got a, a product that is uh, insecticide that is not lambdaside based. And uh, we're going to hear from Pierre Polyev, leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. I chatted with him last week in Ottawa. We'll uh, listen to what he has to say. And uh, then I've got some thoughts on a recent Real Agri-Studies survey that we've done where we asked uh, Canadian farmers about how they feel about the support that the current federal government has given to agriculture. And it's not going to shock any of you, but the, the number is quite low. It's, it's, it's uh, on the low side of the equation. I'm being uh, kind, of course. But if you have any feedback, you can send me an email, shaney at realagriculture.com. You can also call the Real Ag Feedback Line, 855-776-6147. Let's get to Lindsay Smith's discussion with Wade Subkovich of the Western Grain Elevator Association talking about Lambda Psi not being on label for feed use. This is a very um, difficult uh, situation that's been created for us here. It's not, it's not been created by producers. It's, it's not been created by the grain handlers. It's, it's not been created by the life science companies or, or the or the uh, uh, livestock sector. It's, it's been created by uh, bureaucratic timelines uh, more than anything. And so it, it has to do with a decision from PMRA to bring a new label into force in April of 2023 that is going to disallow Lambda for use on feed grains, but will allow farmers to continue to apply it on grain use for human consumption. So th- that decision requires farmers to know if what they're growing is going to be used for food or feed, which isn't really known. We don't see how a farmer could possibly know, um, you know, how the, how their quality is going to come out at the end of the year. And, and also there are, there are market factors that play in as to whether uh, product is used for food or feed. So, you know, th- that's a big question mark that a, far- that a farmer would have when making uh, pesticide application decisions. And then even if they 
did have some certainty there, um, understanding that a portion of all grains are eligible for feed, like uh, screenings from cereal crops and and meal byproducts from canola, for example, go in, go into the feed market. So it, it's a really difficult situation that the government has, has put us in here. Your organization handles the vast majority within your membership, the vast majority of bulk grain. What does it look like right now at the delivery point as far as declarations of following label use and those sorts of things? What does, what does that look like right now? So the producer declaration that's in place and has been in place since uh, Colonel Visual Distinguishability was removed in 2008 um, has uh, a clause in it that 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 basically says that uh, Canadian grain handlers are obligated to follow Canadian regulations and grain producers in Canada delivering to any of the facilities of the WGEA member companies are required to declare that their deliveries have been treated with crop protection products and active ingredients registered for Canada in accordance with the label directions. Mm -hmm. So that doesn't change. And so the uh, obligation on the producer is to make sure that they're following the label. And and that's where the, where the um, conundrum comes in is that the farmer is required to follow the label, but how can he possibly follow the label? when he doesn't necessarily know where his product is going. So, you know, it, it is a, it, you know, it's a, it's a very, uh, it's an untenable situation for growers. They're not going to know whether their product is uh, going to be going for food or feed necessarily. And even if they have a good sense that it's going to be going for food consumption, the, the byproducts could, mm-hmm. could and probably will be going for feed consumption. So it places them in a situation where if they do apply it, it <clears throat> and, and then they're delivering it to an elevator and, and, and it's potentially going for feed, now they haven't followed the label instructions properly. But the next part of this is that the United States also uh, reviewed Lambdacide and it came to a different conclusion and and allows the use of lambda side products for food and feed what situation does that create for crop coming into canada from the u.s you you raise the 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 exact question as it relates to uh, the u.s versus canada and and exactly what does that mean we we don't we we know that um if if it is used on feed products that could be coming into Canada, that um, it could be coming in uh, with lambda residues or, or having been treated with lambda, coming into the livestock feed market, which is not, um, uh, it would, would not be compliant with Canadian, uh, uh, the state of affairs with Canadian uh, label uh, application. So, uh, what does that mean? Is it going to be enforced by the Canadian Food Inspection Agency in some way for imports of feed grains? You know, it wasn't that long ago that we were importing a lot of corn from the United States mm-hmm. into the uh, into the Alberta uh, livestock feed um, areas, and and so if that happens again, because market market conditions make it um, economical, you know, does, does that mean now somehow there's going to be testing? Uh, of of that grain as it enters um, enters uh, the livestock 
sector here in Canada, or or are they not testing? And 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 therefore, what's the enforceability on that? Mm-hmm. And and I guess the other question is, what kind of a um, a playing field does it create, or or unlevel playing field does it create between Canadian uh, producers and U.S. producers when? On each side of the border, they they will be following different uh, labels and coming up with different market opportunities. That was Wade Subkowicz of the Western Grain Elevator Association talking to Real Agriculture's Lindsay Smith. We're going to continue this conversation about Lambda Psi when we hear from Katrina Schmidt of FMC Canada coming up next. You're listening to Real Ag on the Weekend. Hey, I'm Kelvin Hepner, and I just wanted to give you a, a heads up about a new project that we are working on here at Real Agriculture together with the Canadian Agri-Food Policy Institute, or CAPI. A lot of what we do at Real Ag in many ways is simply connecting dots between different pieces of information, different people, experiences, eras, different parts of the country in some cases. And we connect these dots or make these connections in an attempt to create a, a clearer, or more informed picture of our world when it comes to uh, the big issues in farming, in ranching, food, agriculture. It's also the goal of a new agriculture policy-focused podcast that we are excited to launch together with the Canadian Agri-Food Policy Institute. We're calling it the Ag Policy Connection, and it's going to feature in-depth panel discussions about the policies and issues that shape agriculture and farming today and into the future. We're going to bring together the people that were in the meeting room, and as they sometimes say, in the meeting after the meeting, uh, they had a hand in making those policies and making those big decisions. On each episode, we're going to uh, talk about what led to a specific policy change, how it happened and came together, whether it has stood the test of time or needs to be changed as we uh, look back and look ahead. For example, we're planning different episodes on uh, the history of Canada's ag policy framework, the big federal-provincial agreement that governs most of what government does in agriculture. Uh, The end of the Canadian Wheat Board is also on uh, the list. Uh, Trade deal negotiations, the nitty-gritty of the Canada-EU trade deal, for example, as well the decision to opt out of RBST hormone use in Canadian dairy and more. And of course, we always welcome ideas from you and your feedback along the way. So whether you're a fellow ag policy nerd or not, stay tuned. The first episodes of the Ag Policy Connection brought to you by Real Agriculture and the Canadian Agri-Food Policy Institute. They'll be showing up here on Real Agriculture and in your podcast feed on your podcast player shortly. back to Real Ag on the weekend. We just heard from Wade Subkowicz with the Western Grain Elevator Association. Now let's catch up with Katrina Schmidt. She is with FMC Canada to talk about, you know, without some of these Lambda Side products, do we have enough product like Pounce out there? Because I've heard from a lot of you saying, well, this is a real concern because will there actually be enough supply to backfill What's been the gap created by the fact that Lambda Psi is having some label issues? So let's let's hear what Katrina had to say. Yeah, well, first of all, Sean, we recognize um, how anxious growers must be with the um, impact that uh, Lambda Psi products um, and their 
exit from the market this year will will mean for um, their choices going forward. And so when we heard of the news, um, of course, Pounce uh, for sure is a product that is excellent for flea beetle control in canola. And I would say that FMC Canada was already planning on greater supply of Pounce and some of our other insecticides given the trajectory of their adoption in the market and in anticipation of potentially elevated pest pressure in 2023. And the other thing I would also note is that FMC Canada has a solid track record over the past couple of seasons supporting the market by delivering more volume in season when, you know, pest pressure arose. So we are already looking at substantial volumes to supply of pounds for this coming season. And so it's just a matter of really working behind the scenes with um, everyone in uh, supply chain and operations, logistics, to see just how much more we can deliver to the market. But if I can give at least, you know, one frame of, of, of point of view is um, when we looked at our sales from this past year for pounds, we were already looking to supply uh, basically double what we, you know, sold into the market this past year. And will that be enough to satisfy the trying to fill the the hole left by some of those lambda side products not being on the market uh, that's a great question so i would say the double that we were looking to supply was just looking at you know more share of the market considering that existing products would still be available so we have gone back and are looking to even increase that amount of supply for the market. And it's going to be a question of what is that X factor um, that we are able to deliver because flea beetles are an early season pest. That really means that we have to have all of the product available in the market, you know, basically up until that April timeframe, right, for growers to use. So that's the critical piece that we're working through with right now. But I would say right now, everything that we're looking to do, which includes a task force of all of the people that I just mentioned, uh, departments, were, were looking at this very critically and meeting week, weekly on this subject. Um, and so right now, some of the feedback that we're getting is certainly um, making me optimistic in terms of how much more volume we can supply for the coming season. But it's also, you know, we're looking to ground that with our customers, right? So we're activating our our sales teams to go out and converse with customers and try to understand what are their supply needs and purchase needs for the coming season. And then marry that with sort of our top down view from the market perspective. A lot of times we think about these products based on how we use them and we don't remember that, you know, there's a lot of different pulls on actives and products in a, in a number of different directions of, in terms of insects and crop. Uh, I've mentioned canola yeah. and flea beetles. What, what are some of the other uses uh, from a crop perspective and uh, from an insect perspective that we're, we're, there's going to be pulls on the, on the pounds supply? Sure. Well, pounds is also a great product for cutworm control, right? So um, that's another area that, you know, the product is often used in. Um, but we also recognize that, you know, pounce is, is used up to the five-leaf stage in canola. So when we think about other pests that could occur in the market, that's where some of our other products that we have, whether it's Corage and Max, um, Saigon 480AG, and we're just launching um, Carbine Insecticide, which will be new for the market for aphids um, and uh, ligus and tarnished plant bugs. So, um 
we're looking at everything in terms of, again, a broad spectrum insecticide like Lambda Zihalothrin being out. Where else can our portfolio fit in? And so, again, when we're looking at um, potentially elevated demand on our other insecticides, we're, we're dialing that into the plan completely. One thing we learned through the last three years, when there is a potential, whether, whether it's reality or it's a perception, things tend to get sort of hoarded, Okay. And we saw that with the in the 22 crop with some you know very heavily used uh, crop protection products where you know farmers were, were scared they wouldn't be able to get access to something and so there was uh, maybe I'll order a little bit more than I usually would just in case I don't get you know my my total order. How how do you ensure that you know there you try to prevent? as much as possible, that kind of situation happening at the retail point. Because obviously you, you, you take the order from the retail, you deliver the inventory to the retail, and you kind of lose control of it after that. So uh, is, is, there, is there a step you can take based on the learnings of 22 and 21? You know, ultimately, um, I think we just want to make sure that, you know, customers sort of look at this, you know, practically as much as possible. And, I think communication will be key for us with our customers. So just being able to um, provide that dialogue with them in terms of the you know, quantity of supply once we again receive their forecasts and then their purchase orders, you know, from us, we'll be looking at that holistically and obviously trying to, to spread that out as much as possible. But you're right. Once it gets into the retailer's hands, right? Um, that's that's where you could get some of that, you know, hoarding behavior, whether you know it's within their retail network or perhaps at, at the grower level. But I think again, the best that we could do is really just, you know, keep the communication lines flowing with our customers, so that you know, if there is, you know, more product coming or potentially even product that's coming a little bit later and maybe it's servicing, you know, um, uh, a slightly later market timing, you know, maybe in the north or something like that, um, that at least has gives them some confidence potentially to move some product around knowing that there's, you know, going to be some more coming. So I think communication will just be a, a really key factor for us this year. That was Katrina Schmidt with FMC Canada talking about their supplies of pounds. If you do want to hear the entire conversation with Katrina, you can go to Real Agriculture. Dot com. You know, when it comes to this whole issue around Lambda Psi and feed versus food use, you know, Wade Subkovich really sums it up in the sense that the farmer doesn't know when they're selling to the grain elevator whether or not they have followed the label based on what the intentions are for that product down the value chain. This is where decisions are being made that create a whole bunch of like, like in, at 100,000 feet, sure, in the details, no, doesn't make sense. And then you, you tie in the U.S. side of that, how the U.S. farmer can use Lambda side products because the EPA said the product is safe. And Canada necessarily is taking the Canada is taking a different position on this, which is which is really creating some competitive imbalance. So, what does EPA see that Health Canada doesn't see? And does Health Canada have some sort of data that that says you know the EPA is wrong? Still waiting for that as well. Meanwhile, on the farm, 
you're impacted. This is something I hope gets rectified before 2023 planting and seeding begins. But let's just hope it's not, a, a, you know, the worst case scenario. I'm not saying this is going to happen, but a full pullback of all products. That would, that would really suck. Let's take a break. We'll have more coming up next on The Real Ag of the Weekend. Canola is more than just a pretty face in the prairie landscape. It's a big business, both here and around the world, that requires you to be informed and up-to-date on everything it takes to grow a successful crop. The Canola School on realagriculture.com has an expert library of video resources covering markets, agronomy, and more to help you grow a healthy and profitable canola crop. Visit canolaschool.com today. Brought to you by BASF Canada and Invigor Hybrid Canola. Whether you're seeding, harvesting, or anything in between, the Wheat School on realagriculture.com has you covered. Timely agronomic information from industry experts available online anytime. Give your wheat crop a good start and a great finish with the Wheat School on realagriculture.com. Brought to you by CNM Seeds, Syngenta Canada, and the Alberta Wheat and Barley Commission. been recent polls showing that you know the conservative party of canada is is really in a pretty good position if an election were called tomorrow and there there has been definitely a, a decline in the, maybe the sort of the bloom is off the rose however you know whatever metaphor you want to use for justin trudeau and the liberal party of canada it has been eight years and similar to the stephen harper government you know, there, there reaches a time where Canadians tend to look at voting somebody out as opposed to voting somebody in as one way to look at it. Of course, we've got the, the, the real scandal going right now in terms of Chinese influence on the last Canadian election. Of course, that's playing itself out with a lot of controversy. But last week, I got a chance to interview for the first time the leader of the Conservative Party of Canada, possibly, you know, we'll see how it goes, but possibly the next Prime Minister of Canada, if he gets his way, it is Pierre Polyev. He spoke at the Canadian Federation of Agriculture meeting, and I had a chance to interview him right before he hit the stage. Here's our conversation. Okay, you're going to address the delegates here in a second. Uh, What's your main message that you want everybody to leave home with here today? We have to bring home more affordable food production to Canada by getting uh, the heavy weight of government taxes, regulation, and deficit-driven interest rate hikes off the backs of our farmers. That's, that's it in a heartbeat. Let's bring it home. Okay. There's a lot of talk here today about how we unleash, un, you know, really kind of unlock the potential of agriculture. A lot of times people talk about the Barton Report and, and growing the industry from a trade perspective. Uh, how exactly do we make that happen through uh, your lens at the Conservative Party of Canada? Well, we have to lower the cost uh, that governments impose on our farmers. Uh, m- m- most f- commodities are internationally priced, so our farmers are... Uh, price takers, and they can't. They have to compete with people who don't pay carbon taxes, don't have the same regulatory red tape, uh, don't face the same tariffs on the fertilizer that they use to stimulate growth. So we need to reduce those costs to unleash more affordable farm production uh, and uh, outcompete uh, other countries around the world. And uh, I'm going to make that possible. We're also going to um, uh, get more farm labor available by speeding up and lowering the bureaucracy 
to bring in temporary foreign workers and then turn those workers into permanent residents so that we can expand the, the workforce on Canada's farms. Where, where does climate change fit into those initiatives? Well, we have to give farmers credit for the carbon they capture, for the cutting-edge methods that they use, zero-till farming and others uh, that uh, actually capture and bury uh, carbon beneath the the soil where it originated. Um, And uh, we need to acknowledge that farmers are as energy efficient uh, as they can be right now. They're investing in technology to get better. Punitive taxes won't make that, it won't improve the situation, it will only worsen it. Do you believe in incentives to help farmers assist them in changing some of the practices on the farm when it comes to some of these things? Or do you do you believe more and let the market work its way through and those changes will come? Well, both. I think we should, ins- we should bring in market-based incentives to uh, help farmers reduce their emissions and increase their food output per acre uh, and per unit of energy consumed. Okay. Um, the have you have you had any discussions with the the government putting pressure on them when it comes to the fertilizer emission or sorry the fertilizer tariffs that were imposed on Eastern Canadian farmers and what should happen with those dollars and that fertilizer tariff going forward? Well, John Barlow, the my shadow minister of agriculture, has been the leading voice for farmers against these fertilizer tariffs uh, and in favor of using the proceeds already collected to boost. Uh, farmers who've had to pay the price. Uh, We don't believe that farmers should pay a burden for this policy. And In fact, all it's done is uh, um, has forced more food production out of our country uh, and forced higher prices for our consumers. So uh, we would would reverse the tariff and we would also ensure that the funds already collected go back to farmers. We've been hearing concern from certain members of our audience about the the bill legislation that would basically take negotiating supply management off the table in future trade negotiations. Do you support that legislation? We supported uh, studying it in committee. Uh, we obviously want to support our supply managed sectors, but we also we at the same time have to expand trade. So we we, we agreed to let the bill go to committee. And it will study it there to uh, find out uh, whether or not it's uh, worth proceeding with uh, or if there are better ways to promote uh, exports of non-supply-managed commodities uh, at the same time as supporting our supply-managed producers. What about the grocery code of conduct? What, what, is that something you support, and what do you see? We're going to see the grocery CEOs in front of, I think, believe the House Ag Committee, uh, different parties putting them to to task in terms of food prices. Uh, What do you want to see from this? We want to hold them accountable for the low prices they pay producers and the high prices they charge consumers. Uh, Perhaps it means um, pushing for more competition in the grocery business. That would bid up up the prices that farmers get to wholesale their uh, product, but also uh, allow for lower prices for consumers. We need more competition, and that's the answer. But how do we? You can't regulate profits at the grocery level. Uh, what what kind of regulate? Like what would this code actually entail? Well, one one thing we have to look at is um, you know is there enough competition? Is there price collusion between the major grocers? Um, competition is the number one driver of uh, low prices and better service. And right now we don't have enough competition. So conservatives are going to use this study to find out if there's a way we can expand competition, both for the benefit of producers who sell to grocers and consumers who buy from them. Mr. Poliev, thanks so much for taking some time before you hit the stage. And uh, thanks so much for coming to the uh, CFA meeting. Excellent. Let's bring it home. Thank you. That was Pierre Polyev talking to me at the Canadian Federation of Agriculture meeting last week in Ottawa about some of his priorities 
when it comes to to agriculture. So definitely some things in there that I think are going to resonate with many of you in terms of looking at regulations. You know, I think having more of a slant to reducing regulation, uh, being a little bit more fiscally responsible when it comes to a budgeting perspective. But there's, I think, still some questions. Uh, one of the things that in in the general address that uh, Mr. Polyev talked about was talking about how the USMCA was not a good deal. That the Kuzma Agreement, the NAFTA 2.0, whatever you want to call it, was uh, wasn't really good. Uh, I, I'm paraphrasing how he put that, but he definitely had some concerns about it without uh, much detail. You know, if we are going to be really fiscal hawks. What does that mean for the future when it comes to farm programming? That's a consideration. Um, you know, there is a discussion about repealing the carbon tax. That is definitely something that is very, very much in his mandate. But he's going to have to convince Canadians in the general election that he is serious about climate change. Because if you look at the majority of Canadians, they are concerned about that. But the Liberal government has done a, you know, a fantastic job of tying you are only serious about climate change if you're in favor of a carbon tax he's going to have to detach those two that that that's a that's a challenge politically for for sure and and you know, i think one of the things that's brought mr polyev to prominence is the fact that he is he's an attack dog he is like he's that little dog that you know nips at your heels and he's really really good in question period and on some of the committees uh being that really he's a great communicator and and so how does that translate to being the leader of canada when you are the person that is being attacked uh by the other side he, we're going to be interested to follow if there's a bit of a transition here for him in in the course of an election and uh, post-election as well. Okay, when we come back, we're going to talk about some recent Real Agri Studies data. That's our market research arm where Justin Funk and I found out that you have a pretty low opinion of the support the federal government provides to agriculture. We're going to talk about it. When we come back, you're listening to Real Ag on the Weekend. Want to get the best out of your soybean crops? Whether you've been growing them for a generation or are just starting into soybeans, find what you need to know at SoybeanSchool.com. You'll see videos on growing tips, pest control, and much more from specialists across the region, all in one place. Easy for you to access from your desktop, tablet, or mobile phone. Maximize your yields by staying up to date with the Soybean School, presented by BASF, Pride Seeds, and Syngenta Canada. Before you get back in the field this year, spend some time with the Corn School on realagriculture.com. Get all the information you need on hybrid selection, planting depth, crop inputs, and more from a wide range of industry experts. A massive library of video content is available on demand when you need it most. Spend your time outside of the field, inside the classroom with the Corn School on realagriculture.com. To Real Egg on the weekend. Uh, now, we just heard from Pierre Polyev, the leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. Some of you are likely big fans, some of you not. 
such big fans of Mr. Polyev. Let, let's park that for a second. And you know what? If you do have feedback on that, I would love to hear from you. Send me an email, shaney at realagriculture.com. Let, let's continue, though, on the other side of the aisle to talk about how you... I, I know how you feel about the current federal government because you told us in our recent Real Agri Studies Canadian Farmer Sentiment Index... Okay, so every two months we we go out to farmers across the country and we ask them about their sentiment on economic matters, willingness to invest in the farm, how they feel about their their farm profitability, mental health. And one of the things we also ask them about is their assessment of the federal government. And in September, November and January, you told us that only 2% of Canadian farmers, 2% across the country, believe that the Canadian federal government is doing an excellent job of supporting Canadian agriculture. So if that's how you feel, you are definitely in the minority. The number's been very, very consistent. Okay? So when we look at, uh, this is across Canada. So how we calculate the Canadian farmer sentiment index is we take, in, in this example, the people that said the government's doing excellent, we subtract the people that said they're doing very, very poor, and we times by 100. It gives, it gives us a rating 0 out of 200. So 100 is neutral, okay? So if, if we look at the rating of the assessment of the federal government, how would you rate the federal government's ability to support the Canadian agriculture industry? If you have primary crops, you're saying 22.5. If you have primarily livestock, you say 44.7. And if you've got both, if you're you know, a mixed farm, you're saying 24.6. The majority of people that entered the survey that are primarily livestock are actually beef farmers, cattle producers. So interesting that, you know, if you look at how people feel about the current federal government, it, it, 44.7 is still very negative at a 200, but definitely better double of how primarily crop producers feel about the current federal government. I'm not sure what that reason would be or the, the why to that, but it, it definitely shows up there. So when we look at only 2%, of Canadian farmers and ranchers saying that they feel the, the federal government is doing an excellent job of supporting Canadian agriculture, the, the question is, what moves that number? Is there something the federal government could do to change your mind and maybe all of a sudden you feel that they're doing an okay job, an average job? The only thing that's really changed over the course of September, November, and January is the fact that you've said, you know, people have changed, people have changed from saying they're doing a terrible job to an average job or average job to terrible job. The excellent has not changed. It's 2%. So if all of a sudden, and I'm not saying this would ever happen, I'm going to give you know, this, the carbon tax, this is one that grabs a lot of your attention. If all of a sudden tomorrow, the federal government said, we're getting rid of the carbon tax. Or we're going to waive the farmer, the, we're going to waive farmers from having to pay the carbon tax. Would that 2% change? You got to ask yourself. It, it's, a, it's a very, very interesting question. I'm not sure it does. I think the sentiment is, is pretty written in concrete. 
it's pretty written in concrete. It, it, and maybe you disagree. Let me know. Tell me, is, is there a policy? Is there a decision? Is there a statement the federal government could make to allow you to change your mind on this one? You know, you look at across ages, it's interesting. There's really no difference in terms of how people feel about the federal government. Under 35 all the way to 65 and over, there, it's, a, it's a pretty horizontal line when it comes to the support that the federal government has. When we, when we look at region, people in the West, a little more negative than people in the East, but barely, it, it's virtually the same. It's a 23.8 for the West and 27.5 for the East. So not a lot of difference. So if you're out there uh, listening in, you know, in Swift Current, Saskatchewan, and you feel that, well, of course the West doesn't approve of the federal government, but it's all those Easterners. <laughs> Sorry to tell you, but uh, I could have told you this before even getting the survey results. That's just not quite true. People in the East, you know, not feeling very good about the current federal government. And, and part of the reason there has to do with how the government has handled the fertilizer tariff money. The $32 million they refused to give back directly to people that paid that fertilizer tariff. It's a huge issue right now in Eastern Canada. Here's an interesting, fascinating piece of data, though, is your approval or sentiment of the provincial government's support of the agriculture industry is better than the federal government. That, no, that wouldn't be hard. But I actually thought it'd be higher. And if, if we look across the country, or sorry, let, let's look at the, 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 the regional breakdown first. When it comes to how would you rate your provincial government's ability to support the agriculture industry in your province, Eastern Canada says 66.8 out of 200. So actually negative towards how their provincial government support the agriculture industry. Out West, where... We have a conservative government in Alberta. We have a conservative government in Saskatchewan. And we have a conservative government in Manitoba. It's only 98.4. It's neutral. You are neutral on how your provincial government supports the agricultural industry. That surprises me. What could the provincial governments be doing differently that would move that number higher as well. because it, So it's not just about the politics, because the politics is already in place. Is there a policy that is holding back? It's a question I think we're going to... We're going to set up a, the March version of this survey here next week. And, and I, I want to get a little bit to the why of this, because it is very, very fascinating indeed. So send me your feedback. What could the federal liberals do to change your sentiment towards them, if anything. Is there anything? I'm doubtful, but maybe you're going to tell me. Send me an email, shaney at realagriculture.com. You can also find us across all the different social media platforms, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. We've got some great crop schools on our realagriculture.com website, as well as our YouTube channel. We've got a pulse school, canola school, wheat school, Check it out. There's a ton of agronomic content there. As well, you can call the Real Ag Feedback Line as well. You can dial 855-776-6147. You dial that number, 
you leave me a message and I get a voicemail from you. And I would love to hear your feedback on anything we chatted about here today on Real Ag on the weekend or anything else that is top of mind. Really, really appreciate it. Hope you're enjoying this brand new show where we wrap up the week and try to put a, a bit of a, a rope around it in terms of some of the interesting things that happened, some of the interesting discussions about the week ahead, and really, really talk about the industry that we all love. Thanks, everybody, for getting real and getting connected with Real Egg on the Weekend, and we'll chat again next week. Cheers, everybody.